Welcome to the Get Out There and Get Known podcast. Join Pam Perry, veteran PR strategist, Emmy Award-winning producer and publisher of Speakers Magazine, who will show you how to crack the code in getting out there to get known. Each week, she either interviews her media friends, PR colleagues, or she just goes solo, offering you strategies on publicity, publishing, and platform building. So, listen up to hear how to get booked on media places and on superstar stages. Now, here's your host, Pam Perry. Hey, this is Pam Perry. Thank you for joining us today for Get Out There and Get Known podcast. Today is one of those Women Crush Wednesday days. I have one of my media friends, Yannick Wright-Slam, who I just love and adore. She is going to be coming forward. But let me tell you a little bit about her, and you can see why I just adore her. She is like the real deal. So Yannick Wright-Slam's mission is to give voice to the voiceless and to share the gift of knowledge through her written word. She is uh, excellent at that. She's an award-winning journalist author, educator, and speaker. She shares her expertise at Howard University. I guess they say H-U, you know, uh, where she is a professor and former chair of the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. She's an MMJ, and she'll explain to you what the MMJ is. That's a whole new term, right? She teaches multimedia reporting, interactive editing, and magazine publishing, which she is so good at. We were talking before uh, she before we got started about our magazine fetishes that we have. We love magazine publishing. She also is an advertiser, advisor, I'm sorry, to one-on-one magazine, the Howard University News Service, and truth be told, uh, dot news, a fact-finding, fact-checking site uh, created under the Challenge Fund for Innovation in Journalism and Education administered by the Online News Association, which is very important. Her research, she loves research, focuses on health as well as the impact of social media and technology, entrepreneurship, media management, and diversity in hiring, promotion, and coverage. It has been published in the Journal of Magazine and New Media Research, Asian Pacific Media Educator, Fight the Power, the Spike Lee Reader, and Social Media Pedagogy. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Social Media Pedagogy. Okay, and practice. I've got to. I've got to get my things together in terms of of understanding what that is. She also received an Industry Research Award from the Association for Education in Journalism and Mass Communications for her research, again, that's one of the key things, on tablet use by newspapers and magazines. She is, um, you can go to Unique Rice Lamb to read about her and to also book her to speak, but she was also, too, at the uh, at Heart and Soul, where she served as Editor-in-Chief, Editorial Director, Associate Publisher, and Vice President, successfully launching the health magazine under three owners, and she was also the founding editor of BET Weekend. I used to get that in my uh, weekend um, newspaper uh bundle. Uh, her editorial vision led the magazine becoming the second largest Black publication, growing nearly 40% from 800,000 to 1.3 million in just three years. She spent a decade at the New York Times as an assistant style editor, 
Deputy Home and Living Editor, Assistant Editor at Connecticut Weekly, Metropolitan Copy Editor, and she's done a lot of things also at the Atlanta Constitution and Journal, Toledo Braid. Oh, you were kind of near us. Toledo Braid as uh, Blade as Editor-in-Chief at Essence and Contributing Editor at Emerge. Oh, I miss Emerge. Um, her clients, um, she's had included in so many different magazines, BET, Essence, Heart and Soul, Afro-American Newspaper, and, and go on and so. So one of the things that she's doing right now, she's in a PhD program. <laughs> and as if that isn't enough, right? She's challenged herself some more. So I'm going to bring up Unique Rice Lamb. Hey! <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So great to see you. It is so good to see you too, because one of the things is like, how much can you reinvent yourself and grow higher and higher and higher? So it's like, let's start at the beginning of where this all started, this love for for words, your love for words and really challenging things with the words as well. Like not just words, but also it's been really deliberate in the African-American community. So kind of give us a little bit of the backstory of well, that. Um, my love for words started in my family. I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and my mother used to tell me stories about my grandfather father writing political articles in Haiti. And then I used to read the newspaper with my grandfather, my paternal grandfather. Um, and there was a children's corner page in our newspaper, the Akron Beacon Journal. So I, I read a lot as a child. I would write. I did poetry. I wrote short stories. And then between reading the newspaper with my grandfather and just you know, watching my family read the paper all the time and the stories I was hearing from my mother. And then later as I got older, I realized my father was contributing to a, a small black weekly in Ohio called The Umpire. Hmm. So, and he taught, he was, he was also a professor. He, he taught at Albany State University. So um, modern languages in English. So in oh. fact, he was allegedly retired, but I had to turn in his grades while planning his funeral. Wow. Um, so. Wow. Uh, so I think it came from me so from several different pretty, sources. So unique. Just really think about the timing of that. So your grandfather, what period of time was he doing that? What what the the thirties, the forties? Um, my grandfather was writing. That was probably. I'm thinking it was probably somewhere between the thirties and fifties. That's and amazing. I never did pin down an exact time period. And she she's no, no longer here. And the grandfather I was reading the paper with, that would have been in the sixties. Okay. And so, then then your father graduated from college and he's teaching as a professor? Yes. So he was going, when I was very little, he was in school before my parents divorced. So he was, he moved to Akron after one of my uncles did. He moved from the South to work in the rubber factories because they were kind of like Detroit where you are, the automotive industry and the Rust Belt. So then my father um, transferred from Xavier to University of Akron. And then he got his master's at Kent State University. So I remember mm -hmm. him studying a lot. As, a, as a very young child. Oh, what year did he get that? I would say in the mid 60s, he got his um, master's. Before, okay, before mm -hmm. the Voting Rights Act and all of that, right? Yeah, right around right around that time. So can you imagine, okay, so you, you teach at Howard, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had HBCUs because at a certain point in time, they weren't letting us go to different schools or whatever. And Kent State is not a HBCU. Yeah, so that was a pretty big deal for him to go to University of Akron and and Kent State. And then he, he went down to teach um, at Albany State after that. So he started teaching at HBCU and his his students loved him. They, you know, there were like really wonderful stories that when I would go down there, I would hear from people directly. Um, 
And then especially, you know, at his funeral, of course, there were a lot of tributes and things like that. So wow. really he proud of what he amazing. did. Yes, he sounds yeah. amazing. And, and he was an associate writing. member of NABJ as well. Are you serious? Oh yeah, because God. because of the little, you know, the writing that he did in, in the weekly a long time ago. And he loved going to the NABJ conferences and, and t telling all the, you know, I'd run into somebody and they say, I know all your business. I said, you must have been talking to my father. <laughs> my father, my mother, they would just go off and meet all kinds of people and and that he loved going. So the, the year that he passed, when they did the tribute reel of people who passed that year, they included him on that. So, wow. So that was, so, that was really So nice. you really got this from your, you got this naturally. This was something- I got this naturally. And then the health journalism part, my mother was a nurse and my sister is a nurse. Okay. So, um, so I was always hearing about health stories and seeing my mother work in the community. She was a visiting nurse for a while and people were always asking her questions and she was really passionate about health and helping people and helping them heal. And so just kind of, you know, learning things through her and seeing the work that she did. And then all my sister too, because and they were at opposite ends. My mother really loved geriatric nursing mm -hmm. and my sister was a neonatal intensive care nurse. So they were had the beginning of life and the end yes. of life. But, oh, but sometimes they'd have some kind of dinnertime conversations. You say, okay, that's enough of that. Mother, <laughs> <laughs> mother said, oh, okay. yes, you're the one with the weak stomach. <laughs> yeah, because neonat that is that is at the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. Geriatrics, uh, medicine. I just realized, I guess maybe because I'm older, what that whole thing was. I didn't realize what geriatric medicine, that that was a field until I really uh, took my parents who were, were elder. They were going to a regular doctor and then someone says, you need to send them to geriatric doctor. I'm like, what is that? And it made such a big difference. It really yes, did. They passed it really now, does. But it was such a big difference. I was like, mm -hmm. wow. You know, I didn't know this was a thing. So anyone who doesn't know geriatric medicine is like the senior, I guess you say senior citizen kind of medicine where mm -hmm. they're handling the the elder elder care kind of, yes. kind of a thing. And so what is your, what are you pursuing right now is your PhD? Cause this is a good combination of everything <laughs> that you've ever done as if you don't already teach and over a whole lot of stuff. So yeah, I'm trying to narrow down. I'm studying <laughs> medical sociology um, at Howard University. And I'm kind of specializing in um, studying medical sociology and social inequality. So I'm specializing in health disparities and environmental health. Yes. So one of the projects I'm working on, I'm looking for my dissertation and for a journalism project as well, I'm looking at the impact of the rubber industry on health in the Akron, Ohio area. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have a series that's running in the Center for Public Integrity and also in Belt Magazine, which covers the Rust Belt. Um, and then my dissertation is kind of on a related topic, also looking at that impact. So, wow. so, so I'm very, you know, I have a growing, growing interest in climate change and all the things that all these factories have done, industry period across the country and around the world and stuff. Anything with Detroit? Because Detroit has a lot of... Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I've been looking at Detroit too. So there's there's some other larger projects I may do down the, down the road. Um, but I'm, you know, while I'm focusing on Akron, I'm looking at some other things, Pittsburgh, Detroit, uh, Louisiana, Texas, everywhere. So, so many black communities. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. toxic cities everywhere. And, and, and the thing is too, is that the people don't always think about is even though the industry may leave or it may be a, a shell of its former self, those, the impact is still there. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't have here left in, in Akron. Akron was the former rubber capital of the world. And, um, you know, you had the cars in Detroit and, and some steel and then the tires in, in Akron. But uh, 
but there has been a lasting impact on on the, the the people who worked in the factories and their families and people in the community uh, from the air, soil, and water pollution. It's just toxic. Toxic. Mm -hmm. It's just toxic. I mean, just yeah. just the whole thing is just you don't know it. I mean, you know, people coming from the south coming to the north didn't realize the impact of that. And so it takes journalists like you explain to what an MMJ is because I kind of like did that at the <laughs> beginning. It's like that's a thing. Yeah, uh, it's a multimedia a multimedia journalist. So explain, uh, explain to people what that is that may not know what an MMJ is. Um, it's it's basically kind of learning more tools, learning more digital tools and audio and visual tools in addition to writing and text. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the broadcast journalism majors we're graduating are MMJs, where they may do things um, for the website in a TV station, but you also have some who are working, say, in newspapers who may be digital and doing um, a lot of different things. I mean, this at this point, we try to encourage people to be flexible and to learn a lot of different tools. And in order to practice what we preach, we're learning all those tools too. So I just finished a, a two-week high school journalism workshop through the Dow Jones News Fund. Um, I co-directed uh -huh. with another professor. So we were teaching them how to cover health journalism, but also how to use some of these tools. And for their closing ceremony, um, they, they learned how to use uh, something called Story Map. And they wanted to do that to kind of introduce themselves since we were on Zoom. So they plotted, you know, in the cities where they're based. And as they each kind of took their turn, the map would show where they were from. And then it would pop up a photo or a video that they worked on and a mini description of their project. So they would explain that and what they got out the program and go on to the next person. Wow. So, so it was really nice to see them use that tool that they had just learned, you know, days earlier. And this was high school. This was high school. This was I, mean, high I school. wish I had some of the exposure they had. So this, these are like ninth through 12th graders and a couple people who are going to be in their first year at college. And it was really great because the um, we opened the, the, the first day, the um, CEO of Howard University Hospital spoke to them. And on the last day, the president of Howard University spoke to them. That's a big deal. They yeah, don't realize it was, it was a really at big, this point, but they'll there. realize it later. That's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, I think some of them are getting close. Their parents were really excited. And they had a lot of, you know, a lot of different speakers throughout the week, medical experts, as well as journalists in different fields, different ages, different backgrounds. You know, they learned about the legacy of the black press as well as, Ooh, you know, every ask, you know, whether it was broadcast or print or other mm -hmm. digital areas. So they, they learned quite a bit. I wish I had had a program like that when I was yes. their age. Yes. And when when you talk about the history of the legacy of the black press, the first kind of like broadcast, you think about Kathy Hughes, which it's the Howard University, is it Kathy Hughes? It's a Kathy Hughes School of Communications. Yes. So the program was named after her. Well, that was her. And then you've got, um, I think it's the Afro-American, which is in the area. It's not in DC, but it's in Baltimore. It's in Baltimore. They, they have a branch in Washington and we have the Washington Informer yes, as well. Yes. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of different, it, the history is really rich in that area. It is, it is. Mm -hmm. And I realized um, Bishop Bashtai McKenzie I think it was yeah. her grandfather that started the the one in Baltimore. The Afro yeah, the Afro. Mm -hmm. and, and she actually was in communications herself. Yes, yeah, she was. And the Afro, it, it, at one time they had, a, um, they had a paper in Richmond, Virginia, then Washington, D.C., and Baltimore. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and, and the Pitts, they were, you know, doing things nationally, and so was the Pittsburgh Cur Courier. Those were some of the leading Black newspapers where they were covering things all over the country. They would send their... Um, correspondence all over the place. I had um, 
there was a woman named Evan, Evelyn Cunningham. She was known as the lynching editor of the Pittsburgh Courier. I met her while I was in New York. Mm. So um, it was really fascinating talking to her about all the things that she covered Malcolm X, she covered Martin Luther King, she covered lynching, she covered, she wanted to be, you know, cover all those stories, but she was everywhere. Think about it, a woman during that time. Exactly. Most women in her nineties. Yeah, because most women during that time were either a housewife, maybe, maybe a nurse, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. And so she's out there covering lynching. Yes, lynching. She was all through the South covering those, she, you know, bombings and all kind of things. That had to be unsafe. You know, yeah. she probably had some threats at some point. I'm she, she did have some threats, but I guess for I guess she thought that she was be would be safer for her than some of the men oh, because yeah. they would kind of overlook her in a sense. Yeah. But she was she was tall and striking. There was no way you could really miss her, and she she could be really in your face. Mm. But she was always very strategic too. She she was she was wonderful. I really enjoyed um, wow. talking to her and interviewing her. Yeah. Um, but but just the you know, the work that she did. She was also, um, she received a legacy award from NABJ and she's won um, some other major awards for the her and for the Courier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's just really fascinating to see some of, you know, some of the work that our pioneers did who came paved the way for us. And not only that, but when you talked about you wish what you should, what we could have had in high school, right? When we were graduated from high school, or even like journalism when we were in college, they have to learn everything. And and this really became clear to me when a friend of mine, uh, Vicki Thomas, who was a career uh, journalist in radio, and uh, she's in Michigan uh, Broadcasters Hall of Fame. She's a president, she's a former president of NABJ here in Detroit. And old school, you just do your, your radio and you get it and done it. But then as time goes on, there's more and more tools that now they have to do blogs. They've got to do the podcast. They've got to do the editing right here on this. I mean, they're, they are MM, MMJs. And they have to do the social media. And the social media. Yeah, and the so they, have, they have to update it, you know, throughout this 24-7. So they, so they may start out with a breaking news alert and a tweet or something, and then they have to keep updating their story, whatever they're yes. doing. Yes. So it's and an entirely different cycle. It's a t- entirely. And so when you think about someone who started just having to do one thing and they have to keep changing, there's some people that can change with that. And then there's some that just like, this is just way too much. I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. didn't sign up to be, I, I signed up for radio or even like the newspaper reporters. It's like, I signed up to do this. Now I have to keep up with the blog, keep up with my social media. Talk about journalists in terms of how people are, how much journalists get pitched and the amount of things that they have to keep up with in a day besides doing their deadlines, but oh. they're on Twitter, they got to respond to DM. I mean, you know, so people are, are upset maybe that someone doesn't respond to them, but give them give them a scenario of what they're probably dealing with day to day. Well, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it, it always was a lot before everything expanded. So if you think about that, people are sending them DMs or d- direct messages in Twitter. They may be following them on Instagram and Facebook. They're calling them. They might be using snail mail and sending them something, probably not faxing as much, but most of it is email. So, you know, so email and social media, that's the main thing they're doing it. So, and they have to keep up with things on their own. So they have their own sources they're checking with. In addition to all this information is coming to them from all different directions. Then their editors and producers are bringing information to them as well. 
So it's like you have people pitch pitching you and then you have listeners, viewers and readers who are sending you information or what about this? What about that? And is this a lot? And then you have to keep up with it. You have to keep up with different developments that are, are going on and things that shift in the news. And, and you have to try to be first. And mm. if you're not first, you have to be different. You know, you have to bring some new information to it. So it's not enough to tell people you're not always telling something, someone something to people first. You may have to update it and give them added value to whatever you're telling them because they already know. It was just like in one of my classes today, we were talking about that. And I said, you just can't say DMX died because everybody knows that he did. They knew he was in the hospital already. So you have to take it in another direction. So what does he mean to college students or, yeah. you, know, you know, talk about the services, talk about his career, talk about his film career or his music career. So you have to, you know, add new information to it um, and, and be a little more analytical sometimes. And make it make it relevant to mm -hmm. whatever audience that you Whatever need. audience. Yeah, and that's the other thing. There's more niche audiences. Mm -hmm. Particularly some of it was more mass market before. And some newspapers and TV stations are still that way, but they also have, um, they may have newsletters and blogs and different mm -hmm. shows that are targeted to certain audience. Magazines always focused that way. They always had, even if you had a number of women's magazines, each one was appealing to a different type of woman or each sports magazine, you know, Slam was different than Sports Illustrated, which was different from ESPN, the magazine. Mm -hmm. So they all had a different kind of flavor that they were offering or a different segment of the audience they were going after. Mm -hmm. And you had to know how to pitch those um, different uh, mediums, whether you were, uh, a journalist trying to get a story in or whether you're a PR professional um, trying to, you know, get, get coverage or something. Mm -hmm. Trying to get coverage. Mm -hmm. Do you find that a lot of your students when they're graduating that they are freelancers or are they getting uh, jobs in the media or they are starting their own companies? What's kind of like the trend? All, all of the above. <laughs> um, I also teach a media entrepreneurship class every spring. Oh, so we're yeah, so it's we a media um, entrepreneurship class. Yes, yes, because if at this, had, you know, if I would have had that in college, like really. Oh, exactly. <laughs> that like, would have been wonderful. I but, couldn't even spell entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> they had some good, you know. There was a there was a pitch competition um, that the university had, and I had some students who placed. Uh, they won ten thousand dollars worth of prizes. So. Right. Um, I love yeah. Howard. Howard is yeah. just like the, the, the place. Do you it was know, just really wonderful to, to see that. I used to travel to Howard from Wayne State University mm -hmm. to the communications conference. We did the same thing from Ohio State. Yes. Yeah, yes. I probably saw you there years back in the day. Oh my we, God. Met, we had a bus that went there every year. Um, and one year we picked up students. We didn't have enough to get on the bus, girl. We had about 10 people in our journalism department. Oh, no. We, well, we filled up the rest of the bus with some students from Ohio University. The bus okay. wasn't always full because we had a small program. I mean, we had a large program, but it was a small number of African-American students. But I know I went up there three years in a row while mm -hmm. I was an Ohio State student. And then when I started working at the Toledo Blade, I advised the NABJ chapter at Bowling Green State University. Then I was their chaperone. Wow. So, but I got my wow. first internship at Howard's Job Fair when I was um, a sophomore at Ohio State. See? So, and then that, that came, and they came full circle. Yeah. Because now yeah. you're teaching there and you're, mm -hmm. and you're over that and doing and, that. And the funny thing is, is that uh, one of my mentors... He was the he was the editor of the of my hometown paper, but I hadn't met him. I went to school with his daughters, but I hadn't met him. I met him at Howard, and someone said, "Oh, do you know Al Fitzpatrick?" And I said, "Yeah, I go to school with his daughters." And I heard this voice say, "What are their names?" So, so, you need, 
So I said their names and then he had started, you know, being my mentor since I was a sophomore. And then he happened to be interim chair for one year at Howard University after he retired from newspapers. And he's the one who hired me. Wow. Are you serious? That is full circle. Yeah, that it is. Because he tried circle. to hire me at the, at the Akron Beacon Journal, but there was always a freeze on hiring or I had already made other plans. Mm -hmm. So he would continue to advise me, but I never worked for him until after he retired wow. for, that one, for that one year. So that was um, full circle kind of going back to um, Howard. So, so. so the world is so small. So mm -hmm. you're good friends with Karen Taylor Bass, which is like my PR colleague that yeah. I love. And so we helped uh, really launch uh, Fears for Black Women, which is like your, your project now. And also too, about a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Judy Foster, who is a professor, but she went to Howard. And then also Dr. Gracie Lawson. Lawson Borders. Yes, mm -hmm. over, over at the at the Dean. So mm -hmm. both of them went to high school with me. Okay. I both know. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing that all the, how tiny the world is. Yeah, the communication field especially mm -hmm. is very, very. So one of the things I want you to talk about is fears for Black women, because I just think the vision for that is amazing and it is so needed. And so kind of give us the backstory or the focus of where that is now. And then also, too, the opportunity that people can really participate in terms of really getting out there and getting known, which is the name of this podcast, get out there and get known on maybe like doing some advertising in the banners or maybe even um, some sponsored posts. I don't know if you do sponsored posts mm -hmm. or things like that, but kind of give us a little bit of background about that. Okay. So um, it kind of grew out of my work in a sense with some of the health work I did and then it being at Heart and Soul. So when I originally started working at Heart and Soul, the editor that I, my editor was Sherry Crute. And then after we acquired the magazine from Rodale when I was at BET, she continued to be associated with Heart and Soul. She, so she's worked with Heart and Soul under every single owner. I've worked under three different owners. And so the old yeah, Heart so and that's, Soul. Mm -hmm. So afterwards, we talked about starting something new. So we started FierceForBlackWomen.com. And a lot of people kept saying, um, we need a Black more. We need a Black more because more magazine targeted women over 40. And so we, we, we focus on women who are 35 and older, African-American women who are 35 and older, but we also have a lot of younger, fierce women who also um, read the, you know, come to the website. So, and, and we, you know, black women are fierce and unapologetically so. So that's why we came up with that name, fierceforblackwomen.com. So it that's has a health fierce. and wellness focus. So we're trying to have women, um, our tagline is healthy, fit and fabulous. And we wanna try to help women um, be physically healthy, spiritually, emotionally, financially, everything. Mm -hmm. So um, those are the things we're looking at. Um, one of the stories we have coming up soon, there's a, a woman uh, named Angela Johnson. She's starting something called Valor Village in Newport News, Virginia. And it's a, it's a home for uh, vets and their families can stay there free if they're, oh. um, if they're, if they're trying to re resolve a situation. Her son was in the army and there was a legal issue on the West Coast. And she remembers how challenging that was for her. So she's trying to uh, create a space for families so they have a place to stay for free if they're trying to help a, a vet who's a loved one um, deal with some issues in the Tidewater area. And she did a, a wonderful job renovating this place. She put a lot of love in it. So wow. we have a story that's, um, that's one of our next stories that we're running in fear. Is, is there a sponsor for that? Or, cause I know the Ronald McDonald house uh, charities, they do mm -hmm. the, uh, the homes for, for like families when their kids are. Yeah. In, it's like, the same kind of concept. 
She's yeah. looking for more. She's looking for more um, support. She it's a nonprofit, so she's definitely raising um, funds for that. Good, good. But I think it's a. I, I had the opportunity to see the place. So I was down there over the weekend, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. And um, the each uh, each floor represents a different branch of the military. And there's a Buffalo Buffalo Soldier room. Mm-hmm. but um, has a lot of military artifacts, uniforms, pictures of people in her family. Um, just really, uh, I saw a great photo they're going to put up of, I think it's her husband's grandfather, great-grandfather. Wow. So it's just really, you know, it's really touching. It's really great-grandfather. There's a great water view. You can see Norfolk on the other side of the water out the front door and out some of the windows. But I just think it's a really great project. So, you know, that's the other thing we try to highlight Um Fierce women who are doing fierce things. Yes. yes. And, and if um, you all didn't do that, who would cover that? I mean, so exactly. in order for her to get funding, she needs to have some awareness. In mm-hmm. order to get the awareness, someone has to tell the story and tell it from you guys' lens to see exactly. the of, of that. You know, because yes. if it was her great grandfather, could have been the Civil War. If it was her grandfather, probably World War II. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Which is so few. And that, that whole people who have family that members that were in the military, they understand like how important that is. So that is really, and so Fierce for Black Women, um, it was started by you and- Sherry Crew. Sherry Crew. And so mm-hmm. hers is kind of like the health bin in a way. She has a very strong health um, background. I always mm-hmm. say she could have been a doctor. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> she loves becoming a journalist. Right. She's, she has a very strong health, health background. I, I learn a lot from her all the time. And um, that's another thing we want to do. Another one of our goals is to train more journalists to cover health because sometimes people can scratch the surface and there's so many things we need to go deeper on. COVID-19 is a perfect example mm-hmm. of um, how that affected us. We, you know, we immediately um, tried to get a grant to start writing on some pieces about that because soon, as soon as we heard about it, we knew that it was going to affect us disproportionately. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about, you know, how and where we work and in the underlying conditions we have and the numbers and, and those kind of things. So, um, a lot of things that we were thinking about, it ended up unfortunately coming true for those things. And then, you know, back to what, you know, we were talking about with the environmental health piece too. So some of the research also shows that um, pollution places us at greater risk. If you live in, in places that have a history of pollution, yeah. that that on top of underlying conditions, you know, puts places us in a bad place. And then, and then if you're immunocompromised, you know, some doctors are telling people, pretend you weren't vaccinated. So there's a lot of different layers. And so it's something that we want to continue to pay attention to, um, you know. There's the- no, and, and there's no other place really to get that type of news all in mm-hmm. one, one space. And yeah, so we're trying to, since we're juggling a lot, you know, teaching, being in school and and that kind of thing. So we're, we're trying to, to, to build up fierce also so that we can bring in more people so we can do more. So we want we want to cover more. We want to expand. Um, and there's you know the need is the needs are so great, and, so, and the stories are so wonderful too. The you know the stories of our families and of our friends and you know of women just in general. Black women are just so amazing. And it's not just um, and no shade on any anybody that does celebrity news. It's not just celebrity news, and we're so celebrity driven. This this, mm-hmm. this culture. But it's really information that will change your life. It's things that you won't like, like you were saying, like the the veterans place in Norfolk, Virginia. That's something that you won't find in, you know, a typical 
tabloid type of website or blog or magazine because it's not celebrity driven, but it's something that makes you think, something that will give the awareness, something that is going to expand the community. So the the thing that I like is that uh, Dr. Rowe, I think she has a podcast and she's mm-hmm. like one of your experts there, but is there opportunities for other people that may have a book that wants to, um, that has to do mm-hmm. with uh, the health or the, the finances, um, you know, the holistic things of really helping Black women be more for fierce. You know, the main thing is make them be more fierce. If they have a program, can they can they do like an ad or a banner or what? Yes. Kind of- if, if people if people want to advertise in fierce or if they want to partner in some kind of way or donate, they can contact us fierce for black women at gmail.com. And okay. the same is true if they have if they want to be featured in an article. Um, if they're starting a program or if there's just someone interesting they know who should be featured in the magazine, featured on the website, we call it an online magazine. Yeah, it's a magazine. Um, old habits right. die hit hard. <laughs> right, um, right. But someone who wants to be featured in there or, you know, there's an interesting story that in your area, in your city, um, in your part of the world, we definitely want to hear about that. That is so good because mm-hmm. one of the things is that if they want to maybe contribute in terms of writing for that as well. Yes, if they yeah. want to write and then also interns too. We have we take interns as well. Ah, okay. So that is good. Mm-hmm. I know if they're interning with you and Sherry, so uh you guys are pretty tough. It's yeah, like, we're gonna work. They, they'll learn a lot. They'll learn a lot. They'll have some great contacts. Okay. I'm gonna intern with her, but she's also a professor at the one of the largest communication schools. So you gotta be ready. You got to be ready. Yeah, so, our graduates that, you know, uh, Frederica Whitfield at CNN went to Howard, Isabel Wilkerson. Yes. One of the other sons, first African-American to win individual Pulitzer Prize. She went to Howard. So um, mm-hmm. the deputy editor, deputy managing of the L.A. Times went to Howard. Howard alums are everywhere. They are. They, <laughs> they really I are. mean, people thought I was a bison before I became one because I, I worked with so many, you know, throughout my career. Mm-hmm. Um, is, but the is. network is really strong and it's, you know, it's, Howard is doing a lot of interesting things. All they really are. They really mm-hmm. are. And that whole DMV area too, mm-hmm. you all have yeah. an impact mm-hmm. on as well. And, so, and HBCUs in general, there's, there's a lot of, you know, really interesting people that come out of HBCUs. And, and of course the vice president of the United States so went to Howard. I mean, you know, and <laughs> also too, if she's in a sorority that is like AKA. So I saw like they had this picture of a pink and green white house and I was like, quote unquote White House, but it was actually freaking great. I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is any kid that's like going to Howard, it's like, that's the, that's the one I want to be in, right? It's like <laughs> immediate advertising. Uh, so yeah, so I want people to understand that um, Unique Rice Lamb, I mean, your career has just did like stair steps in terms of the growth and the things, but it's been so focused. Your brand, your platform, uh, the things that you've done, the things that your family has done too, um, your dad, especially, you know, has been really impactful. But what do you see next? What is your, when do you expect to get your doctorate, the doctor? If, if everything goes well, I should graduate next May. Oh, that is so I, I've good. i all my, my regular coursework. So now I'm just, I'm working on the dissertation. So I'm on, I mean, it could take a little longer, you know, because we're, we've been in a pandemic and things like that. But um, right now, everything's on track. So I think it could happen next May. That's my that goal. Is, That's what I'm shooting for. That is so good. So after that, what do you see? Are you doing more consulting? Are you going to, you know, what is the, what is the, the doctorate? Um, 
I guess the goal for that because everybody has um, a different one. Yeah, I've learned to never say never because sometimes different doors open. But one of the things that I really want to focus on a lot is environmental health and climate change because I think that really impacts us. Even if you oh, think yeah. about the heat wave that's going on right now, um, that's you know global warming is a contributor to that, and that affects mm -hmm. us disproportionately. Um, all of some of our elderly um, uh, relatives and friends and neighbors. Are sometimes don't have um, they're they're not they're not living in places that are cool enough for them, mm. and that places their health at risk. And also, if you look at at redlining historically, that I, I was reading a study the other day. It's just it's amazing um, that our neighborhoods have fewer parks and fewer trees and things like that. So it's some of that's by design. So you know, there's more cement and concrete um, in yeah. our communities. So mm -hmm. our communities are hotter. They're actually physically hotter than some other communities, which is not healthy. Um, you know, people talk about concrete nation and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. That is yeah. that that has a lot to do with the health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also has to do with wealth, health and poverty go together. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and health and wealth goes together. So if you have less health, you're you're typically going to be suffering with some other issues as well. So it, it is that is really important work. Mm -hmm. And were you getting into journalism? Did you know that it would take this turn? Oh, about going into getting a PhD? Yeah. Like you start BET Weekend. It's like, oh, well, this is fun. Well, I always wanted to start a magazine since I was in college. So that okay. that was always in. And I had started, you know, going to workshops and classes when I first moved to New York to do that. And I took some magazine courses at Ohio State and worked on some startups there, too. So that was always a goal. I always loved magazines. Um, I just, because of the training I had, I started off at newspapers, but I was freelancing at the same time for uh, um, different magazines um, from college and afterwards. So that was always kind of a, a dream of mine. And from the time I was a little girl, I had thought about teaching. So those that was in the back of my head and then the health thing. So it kind of all came together um, now. But one, one of the things I loved about journalism is that you learn something new every day. So I was able to try a lot of different things. I've written about business, politics, sports, entertainment, health, um, just about anything, you know, design, all sorts of different things. So that's yeah, kind of um, that's what made it so interesting to me because I could try different things, whether I was editing it or whether I was writing it or whether I was helping to conceive it. Because I, I always have a lot of ideas and I've always been a curious person. So um, sometimes I'm able to live vicariously through my students. Like we do these huge election projects with them every um, every year, actually. But then also, especially during the presidential years, and we've taken them to national political conventions. Um, we've sent them out of town to cover key races. So, um, you know, so we'll have like a buzzing newsroom. I remember when Obama first ran, um, they said that we had we might have had the largest newsroom in the country on a collegiate or professional level because we marshaled the entire department. All the students were clear from their classes and they were covering, they were, when they went home to vote, some of them were covering uh, stories in around the country in their hometowns. And plus we had, we had them blanketed out throughout the DMV, the District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia is its nickname. And um, there was a student who was in Chicago. So she was at the, at, at Obama's victory speech and she sent it to us you know, over her cell phone, we got it on the website. Oh the my students God. Were so, the students were so fierce that they had, they had their story declaring Obama the winner ahead of some major media. 
get out of here. Yeah, ahead of some major media. Wow. Wow, and, wow. and that particular student who wrote that, she she stayed with the story throughout. The, she continued to update that story till like four in the morning. And that year she became the National Association of Black Journalist Student of the Year. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Just, oh, they were, I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. They were everywhere. They were at the White House. They were in the neighborhoods. They were in the precincts. They were all over the country. They were sending stuff at us. We were in that newsroom <laughs> ourselves to like two in the morning. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we're like worn out. This, this is but enough. it was exhilarating, you know, watching them and doing that with them. And so, um, so we have a lot of fun when we work on different projects like that with them. It's a lot of you know, it kind of recharges our batteries and it kind of revs them up and they can get a, a taste of what it's like. And, you know, and they're on the mall, they're everywhere. You know, they've covered the White House, they've covered stories in other countries, um, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's a great experience for them. So they get real life experience. They're not doing exercises. So anybody that really, um, nabj.org, like you said, the, um, your student one student of the year. So those that want to um, nabj.org, they have their convention coming up. Mm-hmm. If they want to go to that, it is a virtual. It's convention and career fair, but they have such. If you're not even interested in career, they have such interesting things. Um, they do. This year is driven by purpose, so it's really kind of talking about mm-hmm. united by mission, driven by purpose, navigating the digital world. It is in August, and they can go to nabj.org to really go that, but they talk about the storyteller's role in dis- mm-hmm. disrupting systemic racism in health. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're probably like, be a part of that, or you probably- I'm moderating two panels. So. I was, I was going to say, that's- <laughs> I'm, not- I'm moderating one on environmental justice, and I'm, I'm moderating another one right kind of just dealing with maternal health. Yes, yes. And I did and I did one recently. They had an education and health um uh program and I did one that was looking at systemic racism and health. I figured you so. would be there. You would be doing that. So that is something that makes <laughs> And the current NABJ student of the year is one of my students, Arthur Cribbs. Oh my so we've God. had we've had th- he's our third one. Wow. See so. that is that is so cool. That is mm-hmm. so it's August 18th through the 21st is virtual. They can go to nabj.org. They have to join at least as an associate member and they could do that whether you're in the industry or not, and just to be a part of that, just mm-hmm. like NPA, National Newspapers Publishers Association, they had theirs and, and people can just go to it, whether they were a member or not of the National Newspapers. Yeah, like I said, my, my parents loved it. My mother and my father, they, they went, they used to, I didn't have to, you know, I didn't know where they were doing. They would tell me things I didn't even know. Wow. <laughs> they wow. were just off on their own, attending sessions, meeting people. So that's it. That is it. So people can go to that as well. So unique. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, I just want to make sure that people go to futureblackwomen.com if they want to uh, submit a story, if they have a pitch that they want, if they want to sponsor, um, if they want to really just, you know, get out there and get known, go to fearsforblackwomen at gmail.com. Send her an email. Um, unique rice lamb. And then really just kind of, you know, take a look at the website and see what kind of things that um, she is doing on that site as well. And, um, you know, how you can fit in, um, possibly maybe give us some suggestions or just at the very least hit at the end of the post and just share it out. You know, yeah, definitely share it out. Follow us on our social media. Yes. And if you have environmental stories you want to share, I can be reached either through Fierce or at ylamb at howard.edu. Okay, um, cool. But that's right. something I continue to work on. And I'm on Twitter at, at YRLAMB, Y-R-L-A-M-B. Yes, because yeah. it was a little bit too long to do all of them. So I realized yeah, so I, like, I was connect through everything else through that one. 
Cool, cool. I love it. I love it. Well, just unique. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. I am so excited for fun you. Fun for me too. Thanks for, for having the me. things that are happening, the things that you're doing. Um, I guess I'll see you at NABJ at the convention, the virtual convention. I guess 2022 yes. or 2023, whenever. Well, any they'll have it every year, but sometimes they do it in combined with the um, the uh, Association of Hispanic Journalists. Yeah. Right, right. So that will be the 2022. But I'll. Definitely, we'll see you online on that as well. Okay. Definitely, I'll be looking for you. All thank right. you so much for inviting me. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Good, good. I I really want people to understand the the purpose of it, about getting out there, getting known. Of course, you're always pitching the media, and they want to know how to get on the media, and you know how, whatever. They, they need a Pam Perry in their lives, also. Well, thank you, thank you. But I also want them to know that you guys are real people. That this is like your life. This yeah. Your, well, that's what you love. Sometimes people don't know how to approach. The media, even the, the media in your hometown, where, wherever you live, make sure you talk to them too. There's Thank there's you. NABJ chapters all over the country, but you know, don't be afraid to reach out to people on yeah. TV or radio or the black press or reporters and editors because they want to hear from you and yeah. they want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. They want to know if they're doing things well and if they're not doing things well, you need to tell them. And then also do the Me Too thing, though. That was a nice story you did about that teacher, that nurse, that student, that whatever. Here's another person that you might consider. Yeah. That you that know. So you have, you have, they want you give them story ideas. Because if they don't know about it, they can't cover it. So let them know I what's know, going on in your backyard. I I said, they're not like Clark Kitt running around in the street with a with a notepad looking for a story. Okay. <laughs> they just don't we, have, we have we have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I said they can't be running I've around. Had, I've had to do that. I remember doing that in um in Michigan when I was, you know, starting out. And oh we had to God. fill all these pages and you're going around literally looking for stories and oh talking God. to people and chatting them up and stuff. But oh my but God. it helps to, you know, that's an important source of information or everyday people telling us you know, sending information to us or letting us know about what's going on. So mm -hmm. you, you have to be your eyes, our eyes and our ears. It's really, really important. It's more important than you think. And One people of the do value your opinion too. Because if you, if, if you say something works or that it doesn't work, you're speaking for a lot of people who didn't bother to even say anything. And people realize that. So make sure you use your voice. Wow, that is so good. I remember one of the things that I taught journalism for a semester at a Detroit Renaissance High School. And one of the things that I had to have them do all the time was read the newspaper and I gave them a quiz. You would have thought I told them that they had to take castor oil every day. I mean, they just really hated it. It was like, why do we have to read the newspaper? And uh, so, so they read the newspaper, but then I said also to it, now I want you to go find news. So I had them during my period, leave my classroom. Now I'm, I'm like a substitute for the whole year, right? So I leave my classroom so they can go find a story. The principal came back and she said, what are you doing? <laughs> she said, you got these high school students running up and down the hall looking for a story. I said, that's really what a journalist would do? She says, no, these are high school students. They that's are not that. looking for stories. They are out here playing in the hallway and... and, and <laughs> Some of them are outside. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I thought they were. She says, no, no, they're not looking for stories. You have. And I said, but I wanted them to understand. She says, maybe if they were in college, but these are like ninth, 10th and 11th graders. So you don't do that for them. And so some of them did come back with some stories, but some of them was like dirt. And I says, you know, what? I'm looking for a story. And so I had to explain to them what was news. I said, that's why I had you reading the newspaper to understand what is news and what is gossip. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for gossip. 
I'm looking for news. So they they kind of understood. They're like, okay, gossip is not news. News really would inform and educate. Gossip is just a whole nother thing. So they kind of got the difference. I was like, whew. I did that for one. Being a teacher, I did that for one semester. <laughs> that was enough for me. I was like, okay, I'm done. That's, that's, it's, a, it's a gift. So I had so much more respect for teachers after that. I was like, whew. And yeah, I did too when I started. I didn't realize how much. I don't think I've ever worked harder in my life. Oh my god! I and thought I worked hard as a journalist, but this this is. I mean, plus you have to grade it, you know. So this is really tough. Yeah, that is. It's, that it's is. very rewarding. I have to say, this is probably my most fulfilling things thing I've ever done. BT Weekly was probably the most fun. Yeah, and see your students being like journalists of the, you know, student journalists. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the wonderful things is having people that who have worked for me before, former students, when they're my editor. <laughs> And they're telling me what to do. And you can tell they're getting a kick out of it. And I'm oh, like smiling on the phone because I'm getting a kick out of them telling me, now I want you to do this and do that and talk to this person and talk to that person. <laughs> this is like, the same thing you told me. me my right. deadline and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you can tell they're having fun doing that. And, and I'm, and, but it's fun for me to hear them, you know, do that as well. Coming to their own. Or, or they come back or they believe you. Just like the news quizzes you were tell, telling me about, I kept telling one of my students that, um, you know, some companies may give you a test or a news quiz or something. And he, he came back, he said, he had called me, he said he had an interview in New York and they gave him a news quiz. And he said, you know, I didn't believe you when you said that, but this particular job gave me a news quiz. And he said, he said, I thought I bombed it. And he said, I didn't, I didn't do as well as I had done in the past, but he said, they said I had the highest score they ever saw. Wow. That's only because and it wasn't, and it wasn't perfect. It was a little lower. Pardon me. It's only because you told them that he, that they might that might happen. Yeah, yeah. They need a lot of places test you. I said they, you know, they want to make sure you know what you know your stuff. You have to be yeah. able to chit chat and all that kind of stuff. I said you're representing them. They want to make sure that you can represent them accurately and that you know what's going on in the world. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. One of the coolest thing of an NABJ member that that um, I'm just really proud of too is Jamel Hill. Oh she yeah, absolutely. Deal with Spotify. Mm -hmm. I was like. You know, she's from Detroit, right? So yep. now when she ended up, I was like, okay, you go, girl. She went to Michigan State, Murray White, Murray White. She didn't go to my high school, but I'm just really proud of her of, of doing what she's doing. And it really- Yeah, we're all proud of her. The students always ask, we're, we're still, uh, we're working on getting her to come and stuff too. I've talked to her about it. Yeah. But she is really, and she interviewed me, I remember years ago when I was working on the um, Althea Gibson biography, Born to Win. Ooh. She interviewed for me that when she was working on the website. Okay. And, um, yeah, but she's she's very talented. So you got to tell people about your books. I'm sorry, that's one other thing because that'll be in the show notes. So tell us about your books. So you just oh, um, Born to Win, the authorized biography of Althea Gibson. Okay. Um, I also worked on the Spirit of African Design, which is a coffee table book. Um, I worked on Rise and Fly, Tall Tales, and Mostly True Rules of Midwest. Uh, <laughs> that was probably a really tiny book, but it was, was a lot probably, of fun. That was probably popular during the pandemic, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I, you know, I should have probably kind of uh, revved that up during that, but we may be doing something with the Philadelphia Museum, the Black Museum in Philadelphia related to that oh, um, okay. next year. That was fun to work on, too. And and, and I got so many challenges. You know, I don't know if you play Midwest or Spades, but. Yeah, Spades. Like yeah, so when people hear that, you've, <laughs> that you're writing a book or you're doing one, they really challenge you a lot. But uh, this one couple uh, we interviewed in Chicago, we were up playing with them till five in the morning till I couldn't keep, I couldn't see straight anymore. Oh my God. But fortunately, the woman I played with, I had never played with her before we were on a winning streak. So people wow. were like, you're writing a book, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, you wrote the yeah. book or something like you, that. So everybody wants to challenge you. But fortunately, 
so far I've had um, good streaks. Good, good. That is it. So those are like cultural books, I guess you would say. Things. Yeah, those are cultural books. There's some other things that some other things I've contributed chapters with, and I'm working on my first novel. Um, I've actually completed the first draft. I'm kind of still working on that. Got and it, some got other it. projects and some it, other projects on the back burner. So if you don't get inspired by listening to Unique, <laughs> like doing a novel now, it's a whole nother brain of well, you know, a well, novel. Well, yeah, I used to call it my subway novel because when I, I when I lived in New York, I used to write bits and pieces of it in the subway. And then mm-hmm. I'm, the book club I'm in, you know, we discovered that everybody had some project on the back burner, whether it was a film script or a book or a memoir that was kind of just catching dust. So we started a writer's group as part of our book club. And we started giving, you know, critiquing each other and giving each other encouragement or having working sessions. So by doing that with them, I, you know, tossed out the parts that didn't work. And I did some, um, I went, I did some writer's uh, trips too and participated in some programs around the country to help with that, to get feedback on it. So, but with working with them, I was able to finish the first draft. So oh it was gosh. really helpful because you have accountability partners. Yeah, you do. That's that's a, having a cohort of helping you do that is really mm-hmm. the main thing. My program, um, I just finished the Branding Accelerator. It's a cohort program. That's mm-hmm. one of the main things is keeping people accountable. And then my Ready, Set, Go Speak program, they have a forum where people are kind of like post their wins. So when you see someone post their wins, it's like, Maybe I better post my win too, you know, so it keeps everybody accountable because information is useless if you don't have implementation. So exactly. So so we encourage everybody to do something with it and also keeping you accountable in terms of taking care of yourself and not taking on too much. Because, yeah. you know, we've talked about a lot of things. I'm not trying to do all the things I've done in the past. I'm, I'm really trying to streamline my life a little more Into the because, you know, you can't you can't. It's not sustainable. And um, and they say multitasking is overrated. So. Um, I'm trying to, you know, focus more. And also because I, you know, since we have a health and wellness website, we have to practice what we preach as well. So self-care is so yeah, self-care is really is really important, particularly now because we're still, you know, we're out of quarantine, but the uh the pandemic is not over. So mm. we we still have to be very mindful of that and just, you know, a lot of people have been dealing with a lot of stress and a lot of illness and a lot of, you know, grief and loss and you know, a lot of downsizing and, you know, loss, all kinds of, st- yeah, weight gain, COVID, this and that. <laughs> but so um, it's it's real. So we, we just have to make sure we take care of ourselves and take care of each other, too, because there's people in our circles that we need to pay more attention to mm-hmm. and make sure they're taking care of themselves. So that accountability thing is we have to kind of pay it forward and all around us. That is true. That mm-hmm. is so true. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing. Keep it up. And uh, we will definitely be uh, show notes, all the books that you've done, the websites, the things that you're doing and applauding you by next May being Dr. Unique. How, how would you like to be addressed? Is it Dr. Rice Lamb, Dr. Unique? Well, how, how are we going to? I'm, I'm open. I'm not, you know, it, it doesn't because funny thing is people already call me doctor because they err on the side of of caution because some people, you know, get caught up in it. And so people have been calling and I keep saying, thank you, but I'm not a doctor yet. So I said, I'm speaking it into being. So I may um, go by rice lamb instead of lamb in in honor of my father. And I didn't realize it was so, he told me um, he was really happy that I'd kept the rice in my name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm his oldest child, so he, oh, he has one son, but I'm the oldest, so he was really happy. But but since I write a lot, 
So that's one reason he was happy that I kept um, the rice in my name. So, so I was I thinking that. about doing that now. That is so cool. Well, make sure you get the domain name. Oh, I have the domain name. Okay, good. There you go. Yeah, yeah have, have the domain name. Cool. And I tell students that too. I said, invest Buy in yourself. Name. Buy, Buy your name. Buyyourname.com. Go to mm -hmm. GoDaddy and get it. I yeah, teach that a lot too. In mm -hmm. the, that's like the first lesson in Ready Set Go Speak. Getyourname.com. I said, what about your company? I get your company, but getyourname.com. Yeah, get your name. I had .com, .net, .info, .edu, .org. I had Yannick Rice Lamb, everything. <laughs> .tv. That's right. That's everything. Yep. That so, is so true. It's only 10 bucks. So Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't that much. So I just, and I sat on it for a long time before I even used it. So Oh, cool, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to okay. let Karen Taylor Bass know that we connected. And uh, yeah, I don't know, know what she's doing, up. but she's doing a lot of self-care things. She's a mm -hmm. yoga. Yes, she is. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So that is so cool. So I am, I'm so proud of what, how ever, everything has evolved and how we are still always involving. And mm -hmm. thank you for doing that. Thank um, you. Thanks, uh, and thanks for your support because you helped make it happen too. Cool, cool. All right, guys, we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Get Out There and Get Known podcast brought to you by PamPerryPR.com, where you'll get insider tips on how to build your platform, pitch the media, and promote yourself with confidence. Head over to PamPerryPR.com and get the exclusive video training on the seven must-have marketing materials you need before you pitch in order to be considered in media places or superstar stages. PamPerryPR.com, where you help you shine like a superstar.